0: turn back to chapter 13 of Romans. We can read verse 11 again. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. what's the time? That's a question we often ask ourselves or we ask others, sometimes multiple times a day, because the time dictates what we do. Different times have different activities, different events, different experiences. If it's 8 a.m. in the morning, it's time for us to Get up and probably get going in our work at home or in the office or our studies. If it's 8 p.m. at night, we are probably thinking of winding down with a view to getting a good night's rest. And most of us are, are pretty good at matching the time to the right actions. And if we forget, if we forget the time or forget what goes with that time, then we usually end up in a bit of trouble, don't we? Well, really, in this passage, Paul is asking us, what's the time? Um, Especially, perhaps, this question. What's the spiritual time? What's the spiritual time? There's a a 24-hour time, a chronological time, and there's a spiritual time. And just as with, ordinary time. In spiritual time, there's appropriate actions for particular times. And we are called to match our actions, our conduct, with the spiritual time. And if we don't, again, we can end up in trouble. And it seems that Paul was concerned about the Roman believers, eh, not knowing the right time, and therefore not doing what was appropriate to that time. Therefore, He comes to them with this message in verses 11 through 14 about spiritual time, to help them know what is the time and what to do that matches that time. As you know, if you've been following along, chapters 1 through 11 in Romans are all about how God's mercies save us. And then chapters 12 to the end of Romans are about how God's mercies transform us. So, we we begin with that really strong undergirding, that strong platform of being saved by God's mercies. And on the basis of that, because of that, we then respond with a life that is transformed by our experience of these mercies of God in our salvation. And so we saw how God's mercies transform our bodies. They transform our minds. They transform our gifts. They transform our emotions. And then, there were a series of verses which deal with transformed relationships. It speaks at the end of chapter 12 about how God's mercies transform our relationship with our enemies. Then it speaks of how God's mercies transform our relationship to the government. Last week, we saw how God's mercies transform our relationship to our neighbor. And now, Paul's saying God's mercies transform our relationship to time. And therefore, this question, what is the time? What's Paul's first answer? It's this, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Look at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. I think we all understand this kind of picture. We're maybe in a deep sleep, and the alarm goes off. It's the worst sound in the world. And so we reach out, we press snooze, and we return to dreamland and our cozy blankets and try and escape the reality that it's time to wake up. And we say to ourselves, just just five more minutes. And then when five minutes comes and the alarm goes again, instead of getting up, another snooze, and then another snooze, and then another snooze. And eventually, we've been snoozing for half an hour, and we realize, I'm in deep trouble. I'm never going to get to class in time. I'm never going to get to work in time. I'm never going to get everything done today that I need to get done. And we hear maybe our boss or our teacher or a family member facing us and saying, it's time to wake up. It's time to get out of that comfortable bed. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And and so with this very ordinary, we might say everyday experience, at least for some of us, we are, we're taught a lesson about spiritual sleep and spiritual snoozing. We're probably, some of us at least, like the Romans who were snoozing at a time when they should have been waking. We're preferring the false, you might even say the dangerous comfort of our complacency our procrastination to the reality of our need to get up. We keep putting off, we keep delaying, we keep finding excuses to stay safe and warm and avoid facing what is our duty in life. So the apostle says, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Why? Well, he tells us for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So here's the reason. We might have a reason to get up because we need to get to work in time, or we need to meet someone for an appointment or for a breakfast, or we need to be in class. But here, the reason the apostle gives for a spiritual awakening is our salvation is nearer than when we believed. This is an interesting phraseology, an interesting set of words, because here we've got people who are believers. We're told they have, past tense, believed, and yet we're also told their salvation is nearer than when they believed. And you think, well, how come? If they believe, they're saved. Therefore, how come the apostles looking forward and saying salvation is coming nearer to you? How how does that fit together? Well, some people say this is uh, Paul warning them about a coming persecution and deliverance from it, a coming harassment, violent hostility from the state, probably the state of Rome but also God's deliverance from it, and therefore, time to wake up, time to get ready for this coming attack and deliverance. That's that's a possible way to interpret these words. Another way is that it's speaking of either the believer's death or the end of the world. And therefore, what the apostle here is saying is we've been saved, and there's a coming salvation associated with death or the end of the world. So, a believer, when we first believed, we are saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification all our guilt, all our sin is pardoned, is put away. No more penalty. That's salvation in the past tense. But the Bible also teaches there's a present salvation in that God is saving us from the power of sin, and that's sanctification. That's God's ongoing work in the life of the believer. He is daily by His Spirit, by His Word, by the means of grace, removing that dominating power of sin from the believer's life. And that too is salvation, isn't it? Praise the Lord that Jesus' name is, He shall save His people from their sins, not just the penalty, but the power of sin. But, there's also a future salvation. And that salvation is from the very presence of sin. It's not just the penalty is gone and the power of sin is gone, but the very existence, the very presence of sin has been annihilated. And that happens when the believer dies and goes to heaven. That's glorification. Or, When the Lord comes again, and all of God's remaining people are saved from the very presence of sin in their life, and that too is going to be a wonderful, magnificent, amazing experience. And and the the wonderful thing about being a believer is you don't just want saved from the penalty of sin, do you? I remember reading an article once by a a writer, a, a pastor, who argued that that name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins, only applied to the penalty of sin. That's only a third of salvation. There's another third, which is an ongoing salvation, and there's another third. In fact, you might say the first two are really 10% compared to the salvation that will be enjoyed in heaven. And each day we get nearer our death, each day the Lord's coming gets nearer, this verse is being fulfilled. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And therefore, Paul here, whether it's persecution and deliverance is coming, or our future death or judgment, heaven is coming, is saying to the Romans and also to us, spiritual sleepiness is your enemy. Snoozing is your enemy. Having a spiritual life that is in a kind of dreamland is an enemy. Don't see it as anything less than a mortal threat to your soul. And therefore, he says, given that that's the time, the time that's nearer our full and final salvation, he says, wake up. Spiritual sleepiness jeopardizes our spiritual health. And safety, and so, this, this passage really asks us, are we asleep? Is, is, this, is this a passage that Paul was writing to us, he would bring to us? And, and there are many ways that we can be put to sleep, that we can begin snoozing in the Christian life. There are innumerable sleeping pills, sleeping sedatives. That, that put us into a semi-conscious, semi-aware state. We may not be fast asleep, but we're maybe half asleep. We're, we're not absolutely dead to the world, but neither are we really alive and living. And we're, we've got used to this rather in-between state. Self-centeredness, complacency, these are spiritual sedatives. Pursuit of money and wealth and position, these are spiritual sedatives. Pornography, advertising, success, these can be spiritual sedatives. There's so many, maybe each of us have got our own unique sleeping pill that we take that puts us into this drowsy state. Maybe young people, you you sleep maybe because you are very taken up with uh, your your studies, or playing sports, or growing up too soon, that's your passion. Maybe middle-aged people sleep because we're, we're too busy to think about these great realities. Maybe older people are so near death, they they don't even want to think about these realities. So, different ages have different temptations. But whatever stage we're at, whether it's young and we don't think about these things, middle age, too busy to think, old, don't want to think, Paul is saying, think. Think about the time check, am I asleep or am I awake? There are spiritual stimulants as well as spiritual sedatives. This, this church service, every church service should be a spiritual stimulant. It's like the alarm going off. Don't snooze through it. You think of praise. You think of prayer think of personal Bible reading, think of fellowship, think of like the the concert that was here through the week. These are spiritual stimulants that wake us up and bring us into the reality of salvation is the number one thing to be concerned about. Don't let me fall asleep. Maybe we can put it like this. Waking up is difficult, but staying asleep is more difficult You say, well, staying asleep feels terribly easy to me in the short term, but not in the long term. Whenever we're tempted to spiritual sleepiness and we think that looks like the easy path, no, it will end up a more difficult path. And therefore, the apostle says the time is the time to wake up. So what are we to do when we wake up? What's next? Well, Paul says, it's time to cast off. It's time to undress. It's time to put off our pajamas. Look again at the text. Verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, and put on the armor of light. He's saying it's, it's the daytime. that The sun has arisen. The day is at hand. It's here. And therefore, given that it's that time, the clock is saying to us, put your pajamas off. You don't have the right clothes on to face the day. You don't want to end up going to work in your pajamas or going to school in your dressing gown, do you no. Put these things off. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The day being either our own personal experience of the daytime, or else more chronological, more objectively, the the end of the world and the day of eternity. So the day at hand being our entrance into glory, or the coming of glory of heaven to us in the end of the world. The day is at hand. So, it's not time for pajamas. We don't want to end up before the judgment seat in our spiritual pajamas. We want to put them off. And he calls these the works of darkness. That's pajamas. Let us cast off the works of darkness. It's the daytime, so leave the nighttime, and what we usually wear in the nighttime. Take off what belongs to the darkness. Take off what belongs in the darkness. And these are listed here as orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy. These are dark activities that are to be replaced with light activities. So he's saying consciously strip off anything and everything that belongs in the dark, that is suited to the dark, that matches the darkness. Leave the nighttime behind. So have you taken your pajamas off, spiritually speaking? Have you put off the works, the clothes of darkness. And these, these aren't to be put off. They're, you don't, we, in our bedrooms, we take our pajamas off, put them wherever we put them, to use again. No, these clothes, these pajamas, once we've taken them off, it's to the garbage. It's to be never worn again. It's the daytime. These no longer suit the daytime. So we can sum this up. Come to the light to see the dark. The more we live in that light of salvation, the more we recognize the light that is coming, the more we will see the darkness. The more we will see how much of our pajamas we're still wearing, how much of the night still clings to us. Come to the light to see the dark and put it off the dark. So, you say, okay, I've, I've woken up. I've taken off my pajamas. What well, now? What do I put on? Well, he tells us it's time to put on, and we see that in verses 12 and 14. He says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Two, two sets of clothing he's saying to put on here, the armor of light is the first one. What is that? Well, the light is in opposition to darkness. The light is bringing ourselves to God's Word and let it shine to show us our darkness so that we can get rid of it. It's the opposite of hiding, of concealing. It's the opposite of shadows, of pretending. The armor of light is is that essential part of the Christian life of an ongoing life of repentance. It's a a deep humility. It's a radical vulnerability. It's a, a genuine confession it's a deep dependence on God. It's saying, I'm no longer hiding. I'm no longer shielding some parts of my life so that people can't see. Maybe God can't see. No, it's like it's putting it out there. That's an armor. That kind of full, transparent confession and repentance is light, that disperses the darkness. It's an armor. It protects us. Hiding, pretending, hypocrisy, that's not armor. It might feel like we're defending ourselves, but you're defending yourselves with feathers. You want armor. You need light. You need exposure. I don't think I've seen a better example of that in recent days than the video that was put on our Story Changer website this week, I would urge you all to look at it. It's called, From Porn to Purity. And to me, it is one of the most courageous, uh, God-honoring, light-shedding, darkness-dissipating stories that I've seen in a long time. It's the way that kind of radical vulnerability, that absolutely transparent confession, that deep dependence, it feels very unsafe. It feels very dangerous. It feels like is like the worst thing you can do, but it's the very best thing you can do. It's the very safest thing you can do. It's the armor of light. That's the first thing we have to put on. Then... He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think, well, how do I put on a person? That's, that, that sounds weird to me. Well, you know how we, we change depending on what we're wearing. If you, I mean, I, I, I act differently when I've got a suit and shirt on compared to when I've got my waders on and, and a waterproof. i behave differently when I'm digging trenches in my work clothes. You look at any, you put a uniform on someone, they can totally transform. You see that, don't you? Sometimes in police officers and security guards, their persona changes. And we all know what it feels like when we put on something new. We feel maybe like a million dollars. So, what we put on changes who we are, and and what better clothes to put on than Jesus? And he's saying uh, put on the character of Jesus, put on the life of Jesus, put on the beauty of Jesus, uh, put on the words of Jesus. Live as if you were as if Jesus was wrapped around you. As if he was always there because he is. But put it on consciously, put him on consciously. He's our clothing. And if, if we wear Christ like that, that will change us. That will change the way we behave, the way we act, the way we speak, the way we relate to others, what we do, don't do it, won't it? And therefore he says, put on. It's a time for war. It's time for a battle. It's time for a militant spirit. It's time for armor it's time for being covered with our great hero, Jesus Christ. What's the time? There's a time for war, and it's all the time. There are no truces. There are no ceasefires in this war. So, I'm awake, put on my pajamas, I put on my armor of light, and the Lord Jesus, what now? What do I do? I'm ready. Well, he tells us it's time to walk on. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. So, he's saying walk in the light. Walk in the light. Properly, he says, as in the daytime. Why is most crime committed in the hours of darkness? Because it's harder to find out who did it. There are less people around. So there's the nighttime, but he says we're in the daytime. And that's the kind of life we live. We walk in the daytime. We're not going back to the nighttime. The daytime is a time. Daylight is safety. Daylight is, it makes us able to see see more clearly, see further. Daylight for most of us, I would think, is a happier time than the night time. And therefore, He's saying, walk in the light. So, that's the opposite of what's here. It's not sleeping around, but sexual purity. It's not drunkenness, but sobriety. It's not sexual immorality, but sexual purity. It's not sensuality and lust, but keeping yourself from the lust of the eyes. It's not quarreling and jealousy, but peace and rejoicing in the good of others. Don't walk in the darkness, but walk in the light. I was reading recently about science that's come out that is recommending that all of us eh, spend 30 minutes in the sunlight every morning when we get up before we do anything else or when the sun comes up. Not so easy in Michigan. But it's been shown that people who expose themselves to the sun, it changes their cellular structure for good, changes their minds for good, changes their mental health. There's something about that sunlight first thing in the morning. It doesn't work if you do it at lunchtime or later in the day. First thing in the morning, sunlight. And and that's what the apostle's saying here. Walk in the daylight early on. So first thing you get up in the morning, expose yourself to the light of God's word and the light of God's presence as you worship Him privately or with your family. That will transform your day. It will change everything. So don't be don't walk in the light in the night, but walk in the light. And it's strange, you know, some of most of us who. Used to walk in the night. We thought that was, we we thought that was the light. We thought we had seen the light when we were walking in the dark. We thought that light, that Christian light they talk about over there, that sounds like dark ages. And yet, God shone the light into the darkness. He showed us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now we realize we were in the darkest night and we didn't even know it. And the light is far better than anything we could ever imagine. Paul's conscious of that. And therefore he says, Walk as in the daytime, making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't feed your flesh, that just makes it stronger. Starve it, starve the sinful nature. Wake up from the night and walk in the light. What's the spiritual time? Paul's told us it's time to wake up, it's time to put off, it's time to put on, and it's time to walk on. And therefore, wake up because the time is short, the dark is dangerous, and the light is bright and we might add, beautiful. Teens, young adults, middle-aged, seniors, close to the end, whatever age, this is the time. It's time to wake up. Are you awake? You know, sometimes when we hear passages like this, we're we feel convicted, don't we? Well, I think I'm still sleeping. I think I've still got pajamas on. I've rarely or been a long time since I put the armor of light on, put Jesus Christ on. I'm not walking in the light. I'm walking in the darkness. What do I, I do? I'm not living a mercy-transformed life. Well, you go back to the mercies of God. You go back where it all began. Every time we're reading chapters 12 through 16, and we end feeling condemned, convicted, we go back to our great hope. That's that the Christian life is not our hope. Christ's life is our hope. And he was the one that came fully awake, who was never spiritually dozing or snoozing. He never put on the pajamas of darkness. He always had on the armor of light, and He always walked in the daylight. And therefore, He comes to us who are falling and failing and stumbling along in the darkness, sometimes in the light, sometimes in our pajamas, sometimes with the armor of light, and He says, take my mercies. Embrace my mercies. Be forgiven for it all, Let all that be washed away with the gospel, be a mercy-saved person, and start again in a mercy-transformed life. Let's pray. Trumpeter of heaven, we thank You for Your care for Your people that you come and blow the bugle in our ears to wake us up and help others to wake up too. So, sound the alarm in our ears so that we wake from sleeping in the night and walk in the light by Christ alone. Amen.